accompanied by billions more in federal and state funds, and a Community Flood Resilience Task Force, which prioritizes the needs of vulnerable residents and advises county officials on the creation of a, quote, comprehensive, innovative, and community-driven plan for resilience. As board member of the National Low-Income Housing Coalition, Chrishell presented Ayuda Legal with the 2023 Sheila Crowley Housing Justice Award. The organization was praised for, quote, its persistent efforts to ensure a just recovery, including access to safe and affordable housing in the aftermath of numerous disasters. Join us next week for the next installment of But Next Time on Making Contact. For more updates and connections to the organizations featured in the series But Next Time, visit radioproject.org where you can find links to everything in the show notes. Until next week, I'm Lucy Kang. You're tuned to listener-supported community radio KBOO. Portland, Oregon, in the beautiful Willamette Valley. Tune in to KBOO every fourth Friday of the month at 8 p.m. for Squirrel Snow, the show where we broadcast galactic awareness, animal awareness, where we have fascinating conversations with movers and shakers in the fields of galactic awareness and animal awareness and we play music that can raise our frequency of consciousness yeah that is squirrel snow every fourth friday of the month at 8 p.m here on your community radio station kboo portland Tune in to KBU on Monday, January 15th from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. for a special live remote broadcast of Keep Alive the Dream. Keep Alive the Dream is an annual celebration of the life and legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This year's event includes guest speakers and musical performances from the MLK All-Star Band, Eli Hardy, and more. Again, there's a special live broadcast of Keep Alive the Dream this upcoming January 15th from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. here on your community radio station, KBOO, Portland. Hi, this is Judy Collins, and you're listening to KBOO in Portland. (laughs) To you, the 9 to 5-er, just making your way home. To you, the all-night driver, out in your cab alone. To you, Break as the minutes drag so slow. Take courage, turn the volume up. It's Labor Radio. Good evening and welcome to Labor Radio of the Working Class, by the Working Class, for the Working Class. I'm your host, Stephen Siegel, here with co host Rachel Haynes. Hey, Rachel. Hello. We are broadcasting around the world from Portland, Oregon. Both of us are public school teachers. We host every second Monday of the month. Typically, we interview educators and talk about what's going on in their schools and in their unions. And joining us today, we have Amaru Moon and Haven Wetmoner. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Hello. Thank you. Yeah. So we always like to hear a little bit about just our our guest background. So if you could just tell us... um, about your your background, your experience in education, what what positions you hold, um, yeah, what what your what your roles are as educators. 
Yeah, um, I can go first. Um, yeah, I'm Amaro. I am a paraeducator at Grant High School. Um, I work with high school students in a special ed classroom. And my background education, I have kind of been in education off and on for many years. When I was in high school, I did um, tutoring for elementary school students, practicing math and reading. Um, and then when I was in college, I also volunteered in elementary school. And then in the summers, I did a program called Breakthrough Collaborative, which was a nonprofit where um, college students designed and taught their own class for summer. Um, and the class that I did was the science of painting, um, which was really fun. We got to learn how paints were made and made it related to science. Um, and that really got me curious about working directly with students because um, it's such a great experience. Um, and then I took some time off um, from like education. Um, I educational background like in college is in psychology and um, early childhood development and for a little bit after graduating I was an in-home care provider and um, then years later once I was focusing on my art I wanted to change um, kind of what I was doing for work and I heard about the paraeducator position and I was like well I don't really know anything about this but it sounds really relevant to what I've done um, and my friend was just like, you should work here and uh, got started with PPS last year, uh, last school year, um, and just absolutely love my job and love being able to organize for a job that I feel really passionate about and feel like it is something that will keep me in education for a long time coming forward. Great. Thanks, Amaro. And Haven? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I um, am actually a substitute teacher, so I'm in the Portland Association of Teachers, but I was a paraeducator in a social-emotional skills classroom for two years, working with five- to seven-year-olds, um, and I am now, and then I was in a learning center, again, as a paraeducator, and now I am, yeah, a substitute teacher, but still very invested in working with PFSP because I see the necessity of it um, as so much of our staff works directly with students. Great, thank you. And what about uh, any sort of um, official role uh, within your union? Do either of you have any sort of, um, hold any sort of office or you're a building rep or anything like that? Um, yeah, I am a site rep um, at my school. Um, and so I kind of like am a like communication in between like the union office and leadership and then like the rest of my employees and that kind of goes both ways. Um, also part of the communication action team with Haven, we're both facilitators in that group. So we hold meetings, we, um, plan different events and organize and we, it's a rank and file, um, group of dedicated PFSP members. Um, so we're not elected. Uh, we're not paid. Uh, we volunteer our time. Um, and we work on the newsletter, um, social media. That's what I mostly work on. We also participate and or help organize events uh, related to international solidarity, anti-imperialism, and workers' rights um, internationally. 
Uh, I spoke, made a statement at the board meeting um, at the start of the strike, uh, kind of voicing a lot of the concerns that PFSP members had. I was also on a panel um, on December 10th for International Human Rights Day, um, talking about the human rights violations of um, PPS and how that relates to PFSP workers. Um, so a lot of uh, what I do is volunteering and helping the rest of the communication action team and the facilitators kind of figure out how we're going to mobilize and how we're going to be connected and how we're going to support the bargaining team and the um, leadership and what the union is doing like overall like we are like Haven said a little earlier like we are not completely separate but we are our own kind of group of people who um, are working with the vision of the union for the future thanks yeah I'm also uh a member of the CAT, the Communication and Action Team, and um, you know the work we do is really about engaging the entire membership to wield the power of the entire bargaining unit of fourteen hundred. Um, yeah, and that's so what Amaru said. Yeah, great. And then, um, can you tell our just our listeners a little bit more about just what a para is, what what a para typically does, or maybe what you what a typical day is like for you because some I mean if you work in a school you obviously know uh, what a para is or sometimes they're called education assistants or instructional assistants but um, for maybe folks that don't work in schools yeah um, I mean really a para educator is different at every school <laughs> and every grade level even student to student um, they're going to have different needs you're going to be in different environments um we are one of almost 80 job classifications in pfsp um so education assistants are kind of distinct from paraeducators but you know on writing they're distinct but in practice end up overlapping and doing a lot of the same work um or doing you know multiple jobs at the same time uh, what i do in high school is i work with a class of students under the guidance of a special education teacher. Um, and I basically help make the school accessible for the students. I help them access their education. Um, that can be a variety of things. Um, that can be de-escalation. That can be reinforcing academic um, things that they've learned in class. That can be um, you know, anything also from like toileting to feeding protocols. Um, a lot of students are in wheelchairs and they, you know, need someone to take them to their uh, gen ed classes, like their electives or the classes that they need to take in order to graduate. Um, we also work with a team of occupational therapists, speech um, language pathologists, um, behavioral specialists, like there's a whole team um, that goes into implementing the IEP. Um, and then we basically are the ones who do the accommodation for the student. So I will be in the class with the students, making sure that their needs are met and that they're able to access education. Um, and we also want to emphasize that it's not just in school. There are paraeducators that ride the bus with students. Um, so they will be, you know, 
with that student as they go to school and then as they go home. So it's not just in the confines of like the school day. We do a lot of extra unseen work. And again, we are only one of like 80 job classifications in PFSP that do the work, the day-to-day work of having not just special ed students, but all students be able to access their education, access their community. Thank you so much. Um, And I don't know, Haven, did you want to add to that, um, your own experience? Yeah, I think that that was really comprehensive, you know, um, really seeing our work as making our schools accessible for our students, you know? Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, that was a great uh, description. Um, So what are some of the issues that paraeducators have raised about teaching in PPS? Um, What are some of the most pressing issues for rank and file members? Our bargaining platform is for better pay, safer staffing, and better training. Um, And those are really the issues that we are seeing. Um, PFSP does have many, many, many paraeducators, but we also are a union of about 70 other job classifications from administrative assistants to bookkeepers to school tech support. So those three things really unite all of us um, in what we are facing. Our lowest paid members are educational assistants, and they are seeing a lot of the same issues as paras. you know, what we're seeing is for that's primary for most paraeducators are these incredibly unsafe work environments. I worked in a classroom that had seven visits to the emergency room by staff. Um, I have known people who have had to seek emergency medical care due to injuries that could have been prevented by better staffing. This affects teachers and paraeducators and educational assistants, but it also affects our students who are seeing violence and who are experiencing violence. Um, when it's like really we could have avoided that situation had we had enough staffing to make sure children's needs were met so they didn't have to escalate to that point um we're also seeing incredibly low pay uh eas start educational assistants start at 1666 an hour i believe um educational or paraeducators start at 19 dollars an hour a living wage for one person in portland is over 21 dollars an hour and we don't get to work summers. That is an unpaid uh, vacation that we have to find another job for. So over half of our bargaining unit works two jobs. Add that to the fact that many of the people in our union are parents, some single parents, people who are responsible for taking care of other people. Um, so people are going to these incredibly unsafe or unstable or chaotic work environments depleted, having worked another job, having taken care of their own family, um, and are expected to then just take the truly terrible working conditions. And so, you know, what paras are facing, what our entire union is facing really is the safety and security and stability for our students, right? So we see this fight just as much for the paras as we do for the administrative assistants, as we do for the bookkeepers, as we do for the kids. Um, yeah, and that looks like in our bargaining platform form, demanding better pay, demanding living pay, demanding training for how to actually handle these crises because we're only trained on how to restrain children. The only ed- training given to paraeducators is how do you restrain a child? Um, so really demanding better training and 
real safety for us, you know? Um, so wanting to move in that direction and seeing a lot of rank and file energy for that. Yeah. And I think, um, bringing it back to the fact that this is a district, this is a systemic problem. Like this is not the fault of the job itself, um, of the students or of any other union that like district will try to pit us against other unions. Um, but the root cause is always with them. Like they are violating the human rights of these students and the workers that are here to support students in their right for education. And like PPS knows what the issues are and they've had a lot of chances to correct those things and they refuse. And that's why I think we're seeing a lot of mobilization with our union because we're realizing that these are decisions made way above our heads by people who don't know anything about what our job is like. Yes. Um, I was, uh, I started my career in PPS as a para educator. Um, and that was many years ago. And it doesn't sound like things have changed very much in the meantime. Um, and I just think that that point is so important about um, these are things that can be avoided with, you know, proper training and with proper staffing and also you know people who can come to work well rested not having worked a second job and you know be paid um accordingly so that they can survive so thank you for raising those issues up um so pfsp and pps management are currently in contract negotiations when did they begin and where are you on the timeline uh, yeah, we began at like the very end of April. Um, so like the last, just like in the last few, I think it was like April 27th might've been. Um, so we started in the spring. Um, there were multiple meetings with the bargaining team in the district. Um, in that time, as you mentioned, we have rejected two tentative agreements. Um we are now at the point where on January 17th, there's our first mediation meeting. Um, and so mediation, we get appointed a mediator from the state. So it's no longer just the bargaining team, you know, and um, P PPS, there's a mediator involved. Um, and so there's some like delay with that because of having to get the mediator to be available. Um, and then we're in mediation for a minimum of 15 days, uh, but it could be longer. Uh, then if no agreement is made, then an impasse is declared. And this is like the same process that the teachers went through. So we follow PECBA law, which is a state law. So, um, you know, it, it might play out a little bit differently, but we have to follow the same rules um, as PAT. And then after the impasse, um, final offers are made within seven days. Um, or there's, uh, and then there's a cooling down period. Um, after the final offers and then we can vote to strike um, and that has to be brought to the members and has to be voted on or PPS can implement their final offer they can just say like this is what we're doing now <laughs> um, so we're at the point of mediation um, and yeah we're just figuring out what the next steps are how do we mobilize um, 
and seeing what, you know, PPS not very hopeful that they're going to be learning from their mistakes or taking accountability, um, but we shall see. And you, you brought up that the um, bargaining team reached two tentative agreements that were voted down by membership. Um, can you share what the sticking points were and how that's subsequently pay, played out in bargaining? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the pay increase um, that they offered, it didn't keep up with inflation. So it really, we would have continued to lose money, um, which is one of the primary issues for of the membership. Um, there was no real substantial change in the training that they offered in that contract. There was no language around safety. Um, and we saw the same thing with the second TA. And so neither of us are on the bargaining team, so we can't speak to how it really played out. But what we do know that they were saying and that they said openly was that PPS was saying, oh, well, you know, you better settle now. You better tentatively agree to this agreement and get your membership on it now. Otherwise, the teachers are going to strike and then they're going to take all your money. And really, we're like pushing people to agree to, frankly, terrible contracts um, out of fear and trying to make us blame PAT for the poor working conditions they were foisting upon us. And so I think really, um, you know, struggling against that, but also not compromising, you know, and the membership isn't ready to compromise. You know, I think that there's a lot of fear about taking steps too far among the membership, but it's clear what people want, you know? And so um, hoping to move more strongly and more united together in the future. Great. Um, So question, and it sounds like you, you are all involved in communication. So I wanted to ask you about about communication. How has the bargaining team, the contract action team leadership been communicating with and engaging members? I understand that there's actually a ground rule that they agreed to for some strange reason that they aren't going to, they can't make public statements if they're part of the, those groups. So uh, how does, how's the communication going? Um, yeah. So we, the, the, CAT started out as the contract action team um, that started before bargaining. That was a way to mobilize members and organize and take action around bargaining. Um, the district uses a lot of fear mongering on unions and our unions specifically because we are smaller. Um, we are a lot more spread out than teachers. Sometimes there might be like one or two PFSP members at a certain school. So the PPS used that fear mongering of saying that certain things, um, you know, they never really gave specifics, but they were planting the seed that like the bargaining team needs to act in a certain way. And then the union representatives need to act in a certain way. We are the communication and action team because we are a rank and file group. We are not elected um, and we are not paid to do this. Um, and we haven't really changed what we do. We, we engage members. Um, we are furthering the goal of the entire union. So we're not at odds with the union. We are trying to pivot and continue our organizing and mobilization, um, in a way that's most empowering for our members. And that isn't going to cow to the 
the pressure from the district to use fear against us to say like what we can and can't do. Um, We've been focusing a lot on events um, on the newsletter that we have every two weeks now, um, which is a really great way of spreading information and highlighting different members within our union. Um, And then we also uh, have started an Instagram page. So we use social media to communicate um, and to also boost and network with other labor unions and other organizations um, involved with international solidarity um, because we are trying to really um, educate our members on how everything is connected and how our struggle is connected to so many other struggles. Um, And so we have been like, we can't speak for the bargaining team or for leadership of the union, but we have been working with the bargaining team and with leadership um, as rank and file members to really push this momentum. Um, And we're just harnessing the power of the members and show the district that we have power that we um, like are not going to just like give in to their tactics. Like we've seen what they've done with PAT and we're not going to like fall for that. Um, I wanted to ask just real quickly. um, And then uh, Rachel, I think might have another question as well. Um, What, what were you, what, what sort of impact did the strike, the, the PAT strike have on, on, on you all? Do you think, did it, you know, did it embolden you or are people, how, how do you think it, it's impacted your bargaining and your members? Um, yeah, definitely emboldened people a lot. <laughs> um, they, I mean, the district tried to have paraeducators, educational assistants and library assistants, um, SCAB as reading coaches, um, step in, do the work that's typically, t- typically done by teachers, um, and that was very upsetting um, and very, yeah, very frustrating and upsetting <laughs> for a lot of the members. Um, and then people who were not doing the reading coaching, they were given inconsistent schedules. They were told one day or half day, one day they were full time. Um, they or they were told to just continue to work full time without knowing what's going to happen with the missed days and how that's going to be made up. Um, and then the district basically changed what they said that their plan would be um once the teachers came back and there was a lot of feelings and a lot of mobilization around that uh, we did initiate different actions to kind of fight that um and we filed a grievance um we took data took information about contract violations we educated our members on how to communicate with um, the district and with their own supervisors about that. Um, we educated just in general about like, what can we do and took input and brainstormed and met a lot about what can we do about this. Um, so that was really great that we were able to build on the frustrations and actually do something with that and sh- use that to show the district that we aren't going to turn against PAT and blame them for this. Um, we are going to use it as an opportunity to highlight how PPS is avoiding accountability and that they're the ones causing this suffering for students and the workers and um, just 
you know, really make a show of like standing up to those fear tactics. Um, so yeah, we did a lot. There is a lot going on <laughs> during the strike. Um, okay. We only have a few minutes left and I'd like to take this opportunity, um, to ask you, uh, about support PFSP is receiving from other unions, parents, students, and the public, and also, um, how listeners can support you in this fight in the future. Totally. Yeah. I mean, we have gotten incredible support from other unions, from parents, from community members, whether it's showing up to events or um, engaging, you know, virtually with petitions and social media. Um, we've particularly been building a lot with SEIU Fort 140, which represents custodians and nutrition services um, at PPS because we're on the same bargaining timeline. Um, and we've also built connections with local community organizations such as the International Coalition for Human Rights in the Philippines um, and other international solidarity organizations based out of Portland so that we um, and they have shown incredible support for our work as well so that has been really really powerful um, we recently had a petition to uh, have a just uh, basically handling of the post PAT strike work year implications that got over a thousand signatures from community members and from people who were just supportive. So that was really powerful. Um, how people can support is really continuing to engage. Like if you're listening and you're in PFSP, you know, get involved, talk to your work site, eat, DM the PFSP Instagram, right? And really get involved because it's your voice that matters and it's our power together that's going to make a real difference. Um, we're just going to yeah, keep deepening our union strength and our capacity to fight for future years. And, you know, follow our social media, which is at PFSP community, right, Amaru? Um, PFSP underscore community. But if you yeah. type in PFSP community, you'll see our logo is a little fist that says one job should be enough. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. And if you're in an organization and you, and you want to work together, you know, message that Instagram and we would love to continue to collaborate and deepen our connection with the community so yeah do you have stuff to add tomorrow no i think that's great just you know support us in whatever capacity you have but as long as you support us we will get there well i want to thank you both so much for coming on to the show um it's been really enlightening to hear and also inspiring to hear um your organizing so thank you for joining us on KBOO. Thanks to Jamie Partridge for helping us convert this to a radio-ready file. Thank you, audience, for tuning in tonight. Thank you, Stephen. This is Rachel Haynes. You've been listening to Labor Radio. Tune in next Monday and every Monday at 6 p.m. to catch another Labor Radio show. What do we mean when we talk about personality? What is your personality? It is the way you get along with other people around you and with your changing environment. You want certain things from other people. The way to go about getting those things reveals your personality. Your personality is the way you affect other people. This Think is about KBOO that. Portland. Volunteer-powered community radio. This is KBOO Portland. 
You're listening to Prison Pipeline on KBOO 90.7 FM in Portland, Oregon. Before we get started, I want to remind you that KBOO is a volunteer-powered community platform. That means we're funded by you, the listener. If you enjoy Prison Pipeline, then please show your support by making a contribution today, or better yet, by becoming a monthly sustainer.